0: And church, I would invite you to open up your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 13. I am so grateful that our God is a God who extends hope to us. And we are going to talk about this this morning, that uh, though there may be things that come against us, though there may be even an onslaught of sorrow and difficulty, God always leaves the door open for hope. And so I want you to remember that, I want you to hold on to that. Uh, If you are relatively new with us or you don't know what we do, so basically what we do every time we get together here on a Sunday morning is we really, like we get into the Bible. And so I told people to open up up their Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you or you don't know how to navigate one, uh, we do print the scriptures that we use uh, on our bulletin. So if you got a bulletin when you came, uh, the scriptures that we use are also in there. I would encourage you to take advantage of that if you don't have a Bible yourself or if you don't know how to navigate one. Um, So, I mean, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news in the last week, um, but I will just say in, in the variety of ways, I have been paying attention to the news this week. I just like, it's important to clarify that the issues with the human condition are not very hard to notice. Issues with the human condition are not hard to notice. Like, I mean, I know this may not be what everybody paid attention to, but I did pay attention to some political news this week. And if not, if you haven't, good for you. God bless you. I mean, that's, (laughs) yes. Um, If you pay any attention to any political news, you might notice problems with the human condition. Like, And it doesn't really matter what side of the political aisle of people we're talking about here. When you tell, I get this, when you tell a handful of human beings, this is what you're going to do. You are going to go compete against each other for power and prestige and the support of your biggest fans. You are going to enter into that competition against each other. But then you say to them, okay, wait, 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 but here's the catch. Once you win your power and your prestige and your support, your job is to serve the American people, right? Like, if if you tell them, like, go compete, but then once you win, your job is to serve the American people. You should not be surprised if they fail to do their job of serving the American people. Because they are more concerned with power and prestige and the support of those who follow them or those who, are, who they win over it. So in fact, the majority of people who end up in places of high wealth or high fame or high power, they often show us how confounding it is that human beings should ever end up in positions of high power or high wealth or high Fame. In fact, I would tell you that, uh, I mean, you could just fill in the blank here, but uh, like, so power, maybe power fills in the blank. Power reveals the problem of the human condition. Wealth reveals the power or or the problems of the human condition. Um, What else reveals the power of the human condition? Um, Status reveals the problems of the human condition. You watch people as they work for acclaim and support of their peers. And, you know, by and large, you find that they continue to work for the acclaim and support of their peers. By the way, other things that reveal the problems of the human condition. Conflicts reveal the problem of the human condition. I mean, I don't know if any of you have been in a conflict recently, but how many of you would say, ah, oh, I behaved in that conflict 100% absolutely the way that I should in a way that was glorifying to God all of the time. right. Disappointments reveal the problem of the human condition. We don't handle disappointment very well. We don't handle unmet expectation very well. All of the things that life is full of reveal the problem of the human condition. There's this whole debate. is like, is it nature or is it our environment that turns us into broken people? And it's like, I mean, there's no uh, group of situations that you could put in front of a human being and say, okay, now you can be perfect, Right? We are broken. That is the problem with the human condition. The Bible, the Bible calls this condition sin. And we human beings, in the beginning, we actually chose sin. We chose to rebel against God. The, human, the first human beings, they rebelled against their creator. They said, we think we know better than you do. They disobeyed his command. And as a result, sin... And death through sin entered into the world. Human beings opened the door to it. By the way, we continue to open the door to it. The condition still affects us. And so then the result is this reality. Sin is both activity and atmosphere. Sin is both activity and atmosphere. Here is what I mean by this. Sin is something that we do... But sin is also something that we have opened the door to and now have to receive its effects and its conditions in this world. So yes, we have a problem because we have a sinful condition, right? We do sinful things. But now that's not our only problem because if you read the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, so the book of Genesis, we read about the story where human beings rebelled against their creator. And when they opened the door... Sin also became a part of the atmosphere of the world that we live in. It brought brokenness into the world. It allowed decay to start working its way through creation. It brought death into the world. It introduced disease and famine and sickness into the world. It created structures of oppressors and victims in the world. And so while to varying degrees we all do indeed engage in the activity of sin... We also live and walk and work and breathe in the atmosphere of sin. So that even even if we could say we sin very little, which by the way, none of us can, right? But even if we could say that, we would still find our lives deeply affected. By sin, because it is the atmosphere of this world that we live in. So, we are continuing uh, this series called Invasive God. We're, we're working our way through the book of Leviticus, a, a section of Leviticus referred to as the Purity Laws. They're emphasizing God's call on the life of his people Israel to live clean lives, to be set apart, to be holy as he is holy. And so, Leviticus 10. 10 to 11 kind of sets up this section. It says to us, you are his command to the priests in Israel. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean verse 11 and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So while we Christians, believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, while we don't follow these purity laws because Jesus gave to us a new law that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. So why don't we ex- why we don't explicitly follow these purity laws? It is no less true that holiness is still very much involved in our lives. And in fact, it involves every part of our lives. And from these laws, we can learn something about God's characters and values and even about his holiness. So we found that God kind of invades every part of life, right? Uh, He invades what we eat, the things that we touch, how we handle dead things, uh, how we prepare our food. His instructions even got into the area last week, if you remember, of how childbirth ought to be handled. And so this week, this week his commands extend to how they handle a specific kind of debilitating illness. And remember, disease is a result of the atmosphere of sin that we kind of let in when we sinned. So as we look at how they are told to handle disease, I want us to be asking this question this morning. How does God plan to manage an atmosphere of sin? Right, that's, I want that to be the question that we carry with us because throughout the, the span of history, his answer to that is different, but he always does indeed have an answer to that question. All right, Leviticus 13, 1 to 2. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, and we'll stop right there for a second. So we're going to just cover this area of leprosy. What is leprosy? Well, leprosy itself is a specific disease, right? It's a Kind of this uh, skin disease, but also it affects the eyes you can when somebody has a serious case of leprosy, they look incredibly deformed you'll notice that their skin almost they look like they have rocks on their skin that's kind of the effect that it has and the, the word leprosy in this case, though, we should understand it uh, to encompass more broad cases of skin disease than simply the, 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 the disease that we know as leprosy. Leviticus 13 and 14, they are broadly concerned with infectious, contagious skin diseases. And the disease known as leprosy is simply one of those possible diseases. So these kinds of diseases, just for what it's worth, so that we know what we're dealing with, they are painful, they are debilitating, they are life-consuming when you get them. They often, like, they significantly alter the appearance of the person who has them, they can involve nerve damage, they can uh, produce open sores and boils and endless itches, and, and Especially in a world where sanitation did not exist like it does today, right? It was these contagious diseases. They, act, they not only presented kind of a threat to the livelihood of the individual who had them, they presented a threat to the community. And so uh, I want to just pull back and consider some, some non-contagious versions of these diseases. If you know somebody who has like a chronic disease like eczema or psoriasis or something like that, They probably know something of the struggle of these kinds of diseases. right? Some of that, I I mean, I have heard stories of people who have had these diseases so debilitating that they can barely walk or move because of the pain that they encounter. Like just even when the, the cloth of their shirt rubs against their skin, it hurts and it itches so badly. And some people spend the entirety of their lives this way. And those are just the non contagious examples. Like, we're not even talking about the kinds of things that can spread. And so, the reality is that we live in a world where people suffer with various things. And these kinds of diseases are one example of the suffering that people can encounter in this world. That is the atmosphere of sin that humans opened the door to, right? And so the, the result is sometimes these kinds of disease. It's kind of like wading through a swamp. Imagine you have to go through a swamp. And let's say that this atmosphere of sin, this world, is this swamp that we have to walk through. There's no way that you are going to wade through that swamp and come out the other side and not have some leeches attached to you. Right? You're going to come out. And, and some people, they wade through the right part of the swamp and you just find that they're covered in leeches. And that's the same kind of circumstance that we're dealing with. At least some of us are bound to have some effect and some even more seriously than others as we wade through this atmosphere of sin. So these afflictions, they are clear reminders to us of the existence of that atmosphere. And by the way, they were clear reminders to God's people, Israel, of the existence of that atmosphere as well. So uh, verses 2 and 3, he goes on. So if, if a person basically notices that they have a problem on their skin, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons, the priests, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on his body. So what are the priests, what are they doing in this case? The priests are a neutral and an impartial authority, right? The job of the priests in this case, they have one job. Their job is to protect the community from the harm of disease. Right? So, so, so they come, like people are brought to the priest, and the priests are not here to be emotional in their evaluation. They have facts. They have a checklist that they have to work through. They have to look at this disease and determine, is this disease dangerous to the community, or are we okay if this person continues on in this disease as they live among us? So the next 40 verses, if you read, and we're not going to go through all 40 of those verses, in fact, just to let you know, if we did all of the verses that we had slated today, I think there's something like 126 verses in these two chapters. We are not going to go verse by verse this morning. I just want to give you that fair warning. The next 40 verses, they lay out instructions for how to tell the difference between kind of this infectious contagious kind of skin disease and some other kind of skin disease right so what do the the priests do well they look at everything from burns to bumps to rashes to scabs and they uh, they evaluate They see, does it fit these categories? And if it doesn't fit these categories, does it fit these categories? In fact, one of the evaluations that they undergo takes a total of 14 days to carry out, where a person has to be isolated for seven days, and then they have to come back out and be re-examined, and then be isolated for another seven days and come back out and be re-examined. This is a very invasive process, to to get one of these diseases to have to go to the priest to deal with this. And so I, I want to tell you my favorite one. This is my favorite, Leviticus 13, 40 and 41. If a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald, he is clean. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. And if a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he has baldness of the forehead. So even you with receding hairlines, he is clean. I have been preaching at this church for almost five years, and I've been waiting, waiting for the opportunity to present that verse. So these kinds of diseases they are incredibly devastating. Right? If you if if the priest discovers like you actually have one of these things. Right? They are contagious to varying degrees. They spread quickly over the body. They're itchy, they're often very painful. They're often very physically noticeable or deforming in some way and they're so significant and so dangerous that like they were even taking note of how this affected their stuff, not just their bodies, but their stuff. So Leviticus 13, 47 and 48 says, when there is a case of leprous disease in a garment, whether a woolen or a linen garment, in warp or woof of linen or wool, or in a skin or anything made of skin, right, it's saying that that even your clothes could get this kind of transferable, contagious thing, this decaying issue that in some cases could spread to other things in your house or could even spread to you. And so uh, look at this, Leviticus 14 now, 34 and 35, uh, it's, it's a warning about your house. When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession... Then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, There seems to be some case... Of disease in my house. So even their houses could have this kind of decaying issue. We should probably think of this like mold, right? You get a mold problem, and then a mold problem expands to other parts of your house and presents a danger not only to your house, but to your health. If you have a mold problem in your house, it's really concerning. And so the point of all of this is to say that the atmosphere of sin is so thick that eventually, someone or something is going to get a disease that presents a threat to the community. Even if they did nothing to get that disease, eventually somebody will get a disease like this. The atmosphere of sin is so thick that your stuff will get diseases. Right, Your clothes, your houses, And those diseases can threaten the community. And so these particular diseases are so devastating and so contagious and so dangerous that you cannot be cavalier about them. Like You you cannot overlook them. You cannot ignore them. Like You need to bring it to the priest. As soon as you see it, you need to go. You need to have the priest examine you so the priest can deal with it quickly. And if it's one of the diseases that we're concerned about, If it's one that can spread, if it's one that does actually present a threat to the community, it needs to be dealt with decisively. And so, the next verses cover how Israel would deal with it. If it's confirmed by the priest to be in your clothes, this is what Leviticus 13.52 says. It says, and he shall burn the garment." Right? If the priest confirms through a process, yeah, this is in your clothes, that you don't get that piece of clothing anymore. And by the way, like pieces of clothing just did not come easily to them, right? But you have to burn that piece of clothing. If it's confirmed by the priest to be in your house, Leviticus like 14 uh, 43, if the disease breaks out again in the house, it goes through some instruction. Verse 44, it says, the house is unclean. And verse 45, and he. Shall break down the house. Right? If this thing ends up in your house, you're going to be rebuilding your entire house. You're going to tear it down so that you can build something new. And then, in particular, let's consider what it means if a person actually gets one of these diseases. Verse 45 of Leviticus 13: The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes. <coughs> And let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. So first note, uh, if the person is diseased, they now have to stay away from other people. That's what this whole unclean, unclean thing is. You're basically putting out a warning sign to other people that you can't come near me. You need to stay away from me. Without doing anything wrong... This person has to adopt a posture of shame and become an automatic pariah in the community. They automatically have to, to adopt this position where you cannot, be, you cannot be near me, you cannot associate with me because I have this disease. So look at the three actions that God instructs them in. He says uh, that they need to tear their clothes, they need to loosen their hair, and they need to wear a face covering. That's what the covering of the upper lip is about. Each of these was a visible cultural marker of mourning, of sadness, of grief about the reality of the thing that you have just encountered. God is essentially giving the diseased person the command to mourn what they have received. Verse 46. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. God's pattern is to send the threat to the community outside of the community. You had to leave your own home. More significantly, outside the camp, that was the place where executions were carried out. Where the death penalty was carried out. That's where we, the people sent their trash outside the camp. In fact, it's fair to think of a diagnosis of one of these kinds of diseases, it's fair to think of this diagnosis as something like a living death. Right? You had to go to the place that, by the way, was considered separation from God. Outside the camp, that's where God's presence is not. You had to go away from God because God's presence was in the camp. Uh, And by the way, this outside the camp language, it parallels what was happening at the beginning of Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned and let sin in the door, God says, I now have to send you out. I have to send you away from my presence. I have to send you out of the garden. One author described this experience this way. He said, imagine what it must have felt like to watch that lesion growing on your skin and to experience dread and helplessness as the symptoms persist. Feel the total despair as the priest diagnoses the condition as unclean. You say goodbye, you must assume for the last time ever to your family, friends, and loved ones. For now, you must live outside the camp cut off from all but other lepers, removed from all of the normal aspects of daily life, and becoming literally God-forsaken. From now on, you awake every morning with no reason to get up, nothing to do, unneeded, and uncared for by anyone. To get one of these diseases was to be so affected by the atmosphere of sin That you would become contagious to others, and as a result, God would need to cast you away from His presence. All of the consequences of this disease are incredibly devastating. I hope you see that. And God's telling His people, I want you to be holy like I am holy. But to have this kind of contagion among you, it makes the atmosphere of sin so thick that while it's there, that 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 person, both for your health and for your holiness, needs to be cast away from you. They need to live outside the camp. Okay. So then read the first two verses of chapter 14 with me. Leviticus 14, 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. I don't know if you catch this, but gosh, like right here, this is such a beautiful picture of God's mercy, and I hope that you see it. Because what did we do? I mean, even though that person was not directly responsible for the thing that they, has happened to them or the thing that they have incurred as a result of living in a sinful world, we still have all participated in leaving the door open for sin. Like That's what we did. We left the door open for sin. We entertain disobedience. We prioritize our wants over others' needs. We think we must know better than God knows. We allowed and continue to allow the atmosphere of sin to be thick. And we leave the door open for all sorts of brokenness and decay and damage from sin. But what does God do here for the diseased person? God leaves the door open for hope. It's exactly what he does. He leaves the door open for a, a pathway back into the community. Like there was the chance... That the person who was diseased could actually overcome the disease. And if they were healed, they had a pathway back into God's community. That they did not have to be resigned to being left out there forever. God was saying, I'm establishing a way back. They could go and be examined. And if the priest declared them to be healed, then that priest would take that healed person through a cleansing ritual. The priest would take a hyssop branch and he would dip it in blood and sprinkle that blood on the person seven times. And you might be asking, how in the world can sprinkling a person with blood seven times make them clean? But if you recognize what most of Leviticus is built around, it's built around this idea that life is in The blood. I know that doesn't make sense to us in the time and place that we live in, but God established this category that life is in the blood. That somehow we walk so close to death in this world that we need our death to be cleansed with life. He's saying life is in the blood, so you're going to sprinkle life on that person seven times to make them clean. They have walked so close to death that they need to be sprinkled with life. God is basically affirming, yes, you have indeed been living death. But I'm going to welcome you back by sprinkling life on you. Verse 14, or sorry, chapter 14, verse 10. And so that diseased person, it says, On the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, and then, all of the other instructions from here, he's going to walk them through four of the, the five different offerings that an Israelite could make. That first was going to be the, the sin offering, that there needed to be a recognition I've walked so close to sin by being affected by the atmosphere that I need to um, receive God's atonement. Like my sin created separation, but we need to be brought back together. And then they're going to make a restitution offering to say, yes, there was damage that was both caused to me and caused to God's community because of this thing that I occurred. And so I'm going to make it right with God. And then they're going to make a grain offering to say that my thanksgiving belongs to the Lord because he has welcomed me back into fellowship with himself. And then they're going to make a burnt offering to say all of my life belongs to God. He has healed me and everything that I am. Is his. And so it says, Thus the priest shall make atonement for the one who was diseased, and he shall be clean. Atonement, that word, what it means is that things that were previously at odds with each other, things that were previously separated from each other, can be brought together. So at one time, the diseased person, they had to be separated, but with that healing he could be welcomed back into relationship with God. So what? So what? Number one, God warns us to treat sin like leprosy. He warns us to treat sin like leprosy. As God inspires people to continue writing scripture, As scripture develops, leprosy becomes a significant metaphor for sin. So I want you to hear these words from Isaiah 1, 5-7. This is a warning to Israel about the sin that they have been entertaining. Verse 5 says, why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint from the sole of the foot even to the head. There is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. He's basically saying your sores, your disease is exposed for everyone to see. And in the New Testament, the the scriptures that were written for us after Jesus came, we see biblical writers telling God's people to respond sin, much the same way that people responded to leprosy in the Old Testament. What does sin do? Sin starts insignificantly. It starts small, but it spreads quickly. It affects deeply, deeper than even our skin. It ruins whatever it touches. It destroys sensitivity. It is deadly and incurable. Sin is only made right with God. Hebrews twelve fifteen gives us this kind of, uh, kind of a warning or awareness. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. He's saying, you know, if this kind of thing shows up, you do not entertain that for one second. You pull it out and you get it out of there, because it's such a threat to the community if you allow it to exist. If this exists in you, if this exists among you, if you see this taking place, you do not let it sit there. You don't overlook it. You deal with it. Some sin is containable with the right protocol. Some sin can be stopped if you catch it early and deal with it. But some sin is contagious and it destroys others when we fail to notice it and root it out quickly. And all sin separates us from God. Not all sin has the same consequences, but any sin left unchecked will grow and catch up to you. It is one of the most successful accomplishments of this world and of our fleshly nature and of the devil himself that we could treat sin cavalierly, that we could just not take it seriously that we entertain little bits and pieces of it and say, "Ah, yeah, you know, it's no big deal. I'm still able to go to church on Sunday. I'm still able to, to pray. Like, I can, I can entertain that little bit of a thing. But when we, uh, as we engage in it, like, we are heaping on ourselves the very thing that introduced death and disease and the atmosphere of sin into this world in the first place. So statistically, here's what I know that there are some of us here this morning who are entertaining blatant rebellion against God in our lives. And God wants us to separate from it. God wants us to put it out. He wants us to see what we are opening the door to, and he's telling us, hey, it's time to close the door. So Paul, uh, Paul is a guy whose life was dramatically changed by Jesus, and he wrote this to some churches that he had established, to a specific church that he had established. Ephesians 5, 11 through 14, he said to them, "'Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, "'but instead expose them. "'For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. "'But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible.'" For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Church, sin is infectious and contagious, and my prayer is that if you are entertaining sin this morning, that you would stop and that you would deal with it. Number two. Sin is atmosphere and activity. And we desperately need Jesus to wash us. Each of us engage in the activity of sin. Each of us walk through an atmosphere that is filled with sin. And the problem is, is that we actually need someone who has power over sin to help us do something about it. If you uh, have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 8. Um, Matthew chapter 8 gives us a picture Of Jesus' power over the atmosphere of sin. Matthew eight, chapter or verse one. Matthew chapter eight, verse one, says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, said, Lord, if you will. You can make me clean. This was incredibly threatening for various reasons. Number one, that leper walked into the middle of a crowd of people with his disease that was very spreadable. He walked into the middle of that crowd. He walked right up to Jesus, and Jesus risked all of his social status, all of his following the law, right? In that moment with that man, he risked all of it. And this is what happened. Jesus, I mean, he, was a, he, he approached all sorts of people with all sorts of uncleanness, and he had not one ounce of fear. I guarantee you every person in that crowd was looking at that guy and stepping away from him as he came through. But Jesus was not stepping away from him. He had no concern for how this man's uncleanness would affect him. In fact, with Jesus, things worked the opposite way. That he did not get infected by uncleanness, but that whenever he walked into a place, uncleanness fled away from him. So verse 3. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So I'm going to go back to to what I read earlier, but I'm going to read a little bit further. This author wrote this For now you must live outside the camp, cut off from all but other lepers removed from all the normal aspects of daily life and becoming literally God-forsaken. From now on, you awake every morning with no reason to get up, nothing to do, unneeded and uncared for by anyone. <coughs> and then, beyond your wildest hopes and dreams, healing comes. The disease is arrested Imagine the joy of returning to the camp and now being restored to all the rights and privileges of being human again. To the high privilege of worshiping the living God again in the tabernacle with your friends and family. Renewed, restored, what a celebration those services of cleansing must have been. Jesus brought that kind of hope to that man that day. And the good news to us is that Jesus extends that kind of hope to us as well. Right? Though atmosphere and activity of sin separate us from God, no matter how much leprosy of sin you have endured or entertained, you can be made clean instantly through faith in Jesus Christ. And you can know the love and welcome of your Father in heaven. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, this morning we stand in wonder of your power. God, for for a period of time, you said that this uh, sin, that this uh, atmosphere of sin was something that was to be managed by your community, but you had a plan from before the foundations of the world that you were going to deal decisively with both the atmosphere and the activity of sin in the cross of Jesus Christ. And we say hallelujah, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift that you extend to us that though we may even hold disease in our bodies, that we can be made clean and made right with you through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we can be reconciled to you and know the love of our Father who is in heaven. And so, Lord, in light of these mercies, May we be the kind of people who do not deal lightly with sin. I pray for anyone in this room. I pray for myself as well. That, um, that we would have such a weight of Holy Spirit upon us. That we would recognize the gravity and the damage and the decay of sin that we open the door to. And Lord, that you would just press upon us the need to root it out. The need to deal with it. And, and then in that place to receive the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus, the blood of your son who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, thank you for these amazing gifts. Thank you that we can be made right with you. I pray uh, that you would uh, lead anyone who has not known what it is to be reconciled to you, who has felt far off from you. I pray that this morning you would By your Holy Spirit, give them an awareness of your love that you would even draw some to faith in you this morning. Jesus, thank you for the gift of your word. May you use it to continue shaping and forming us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.